This is Talkin' Mule Deer with your hosts, Steve Belinda and Jody Stemmler. Talkin' Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, Mule Deer and Blacktail Deer Biology and Management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start Talkin' Mule Deer. Hello, we're back with Talking Mule Deer. This is Jody Stemmler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and we are at the 2019 SHOT Show in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, and we've got another fun guest here that many Mule Deer Foundation members probably know or at least have read. We've got Mark Kaiser. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's uh, great to be here with you guys, and obviously we are at the SHOT Show. You get to see all the new great products here. And <laughs> What's your favorite thing so far? Uh, my favorite thing, my favorite thing, you know, a guy was showing me a vape, you know how people vape <laughs> down to the smoke yeah. and he vapes deer urine through it. Oh, uh, and I mean, oh, that's your favorite thing. Well, it's kind of the most unique thing. <laughs> that, that's seen. fair. That's fair. <laughs> as far as favorite, you know, some of those two, $3,000 rifles. Oh, those are pretty nice. They I went down like, to look at a knife and got visual overload because they had every knife I think they ever made and I was looking for one you know replacement for one that I lost a while ago and I was just I, I had to step back and be like I can't do this like give me a catalog you know I just yeah. it was too much my, my favorite uh WTF right now is the Gerber tattoo booth. oh yeah that is crazy Gerber knives have two tattoo artists that are giving actual not 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 rub on <laughs> so you, do you have to get the Gerber no, but you Logo? can. But, but you, you you can. But they have a, about ten different options of yeah. uh, of tattoos, and they're 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 busy the entire yeah. Every time, time. you go every by, time there's somebody sitting getting a, a tattoo. So, so those people aren't living by the what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> no, <laughs> what what goes on in Vegas is going to stay with them for the rest of their lives. Stays <laughs> on them from Vegas. So so enough about Shot Show and some of the wacky weirdness. Mark, you write regularly for the MDF magazine, and and we really enjoy your contributions. Um, tell us a little bit though about how you got your start as an outdoor writer at, in, within this industry, and 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 how you came about to become uh, one of our contributors, our regular contributors. Well, the, my start came about way back when I was in high school and uh, got to credit a few different teachers, but they said, you need to do write what you're passionate about. And I was passionate about hunting. So I started writing in high school and actually as a senior in high school, had something published in a South Dakota magazine where I grew up. I grew up in uh, uh, the great state of South Dakota. Nice. Uh, I live in Wyoming now, just next door. So, uh, but uh, so was high school, and then went in college. I I kind of went the route a lot of people go. Now I want to be a game. Before you go into that, what was the story about in high school? Uh, photographing red fox. Oh, uh, interesting. Pups. I was a uh, kind of a fledgling photographer then, outdoor outdoor wildlife photographer, and I sat on a fox den for several nights in a row and got some really nice pup shots and wrote a little essay about it and what it was like to sit there and watch the little pups come out of their den and and look at you you know they they didn't know what they were looking right. at mom was gone off trying to catch some mice for them so oh, very cool cool, cool. Then I just kept up on it, and yeah. I uh, I didn't know if I wanted to be a game warden or or in journalism. So I started out on that track with both, taking as many wildlife management classes uh, as I could and journalism classes, and then I took the right fork, the right off ramp, and that went to journalism. And uh, I kept freelancing all the way uh, from high school through a, another job with state government. At nights, I would just keep freelancing and writing about my passions. And after a few years, I was making as much money at night and on weekends 
as I was at my regular job. And my wife said, uh, she agreed with me, she said, well, I should take the jump, become a freelancer. And for almost uh, 20 years now, been a full-time freelance writer. That's great. And who, who? I mean, you write for us, but I've, where else are your articles published? Uh, uh, probably the one where a lot of guys, because a lot of MDF members are uh, NRA members, American Hunter. I do a lot of articles for them, almost every issue. I'm in the American Hunter magazine. You can find me. I do some stuff with sister organizations. Uh, National Wild Turkey Federation is a good example. You know, right. another great conservation uh, organization. Uh, I bow hunt a lot, too, so not only do I do rifle hunting uh, articles for, like, American Hunter, but Bow Hunter Magazine, Bow Hunting World, uh, Predator Extreme. I love predator hunting. It's one of my, you know, if I, if I, had a, if I wasn't big game hunting, I'm predator hunting. That's, that's uh, uh, one of my other big passions. Well, and that part of Wyoming, you got quite a few coyotes. Quite a few coyotes, and then you, you don't have to go not very far away, two, three hours from my house, and you can hunt wolves as predators because in Wyoming we right. classify them right. as a predator, predator outside the trophy game management area of wolves, which is just basically the Yellowstone area. So uh, shoot on sight wolves in Wyoming, which um, we're all kind of still proud we fought the f- – not that there's anything wrong with the federal government, <laughs> but we fought them on that. And we you de- fought the law, and the law didn't – well, they, never mind. There's well. quite a bit of controversy about <laughs> right. that going on right now. I'm just wondering um, – if there's a story about predator, I have not seen one about predator hunting wolves yet. I guess I don't, I'm not a predator hunter, but I, I read the stuff when I see it. But that would be an interesting article because, like, like what's going on outside of Cook City right now, folks are accusing hunters of drawing uh, wolves out of the park. Wolves out of the park through legal means to hunt them. And, and, you know, of course, one thing leads to another and the accusations get thrown. But it would be really interesting to know from someone like you who does the long-form journalism and investigative journalism of really what is going on out there. Because, you know, the other thing we're seeing is the running of coyotes on snowmobiles controversy in Wyoming right now. Right. I think that's giving the whole issue of predator hunting and, and... animal control a bad name because everyone thinks everyone does that exactly and 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 in my my point of view on all of this is whether it's mule deer elk wolves coyotes everything needs to be managed in today's modern world there's just not enough natural space just to turn your head blindly away from these animals and let them do their own thing Uh, the grizzly bears uh in in montana is a great example of how they're coming out of the western mountains and they're setting up footholds in country they never did before in the prairie and who lives in the prairie now all kinds of you know agricultural type people so they're having more bear encounters than ever before is that a bad thing? Maybe not necessarily, but at the same time, there's a management component that needs to take place there to reduce conflicts, reduce livestock conflicts, and yet maintain the grizzly bear because that's a great ionic creature of the, the American West. And we all want to see it. It's just got to be managed, yeah. just like everything else. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I mean, to me, predators are a great, a great thing to hunt because if you can hunt predators successfully, a coyote, or a wolf, a bear, uh, or a mountain lion, you know, it, with or without the means that some of these are, are hunted, whether it's bait or dogs. But if you just go face-to-face with a predator on their terms and you can be successful, you're a heck of a hunter. I, Absolutely. So, uh, so so, tell us a little bit. Uh, so you, when did you move to Wyoming? Uh, about a dozen years ago, I, I crossed borders. 
<laughs> and imported your wife as well, because I'm assuming she grew up in South Dakota with you. We, yeah, we both grew up in the same small town in South Dakota. I, I got my love for the West from my family traveled all over the West from your kids. We'd always take vacations to Yellowstone, Colorado. But then my parents, when I was about 10 years old, bought a mountain property, a small ranch in the Black Hills of South oh, yeah. Dakota. Beautiful so, area. So I just caught the bug there, and ever since I wanted to be one step closer to the West. Uh, get out. Not that I hated South Dakota, because I still love it to this day, but I just I just wanted to be in the... The, the mountains were calling, the, and you must go. Okay, you, you said it, and that's <laughs> end of story. Oh, that's I feel exactly the same right. way. I mean, I, I, people say, how'd you get out West from Pennsylvania? And I'm like, pure desire. Yeah. It was something I dreamed about from being a young child because of the vacations and my father hunting and... You know the, the the Western movies, and when I had an opportunity to do that, um, I did it, and it was uh, hard, but I made it work. But you know, once you get into the Rocky Mountain region, it's really hard to leave. I have had to leave for a few stints for careers, but I've, I've always come back. My wife and, and her family are from Wyoming, so we love it. So, yeah, and where you live. Um, was the place I wanted to set roots up when I first moved to Wyoming. Oh, yeah? So, yeah. So you spend a lot of time in Sheridan and the Bighorn Mountains. Beautiful. Yeah. We, we live just outside of town against the foothills. So every morning I wake up and I can look out any window in any direction and guess what I see? Deer. Mule deer. <laughs> Fantastic. And I, I have, love Sheridan. And I don't have to go that far either. I would and happily white tails. there. Well, and you're probably seeing grouse and pheasants, too, oh. from what I see over there, and turkeys. So I've got a pile of grouse every morning that are in my front yard like chickens. It's just crazy. No, so very cool. We love it. Well, you know, that's uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, being the executive director of the North American Grouse Partnership. And, you know, Jody and, and I have, uh, are learning to hunt grouse better with our families. So it's... Uh, I think she's got a, a few up on me. She she hunts sage grouse. I don't hunt sage grouse. So. And they taste I, good. I, I'm, I'm not a lover of the meat of sage grouse, but I like getting out with the dogs. Yeah, exactly. So I know our listeners, uh, you know, we provide a lot of different content to them. Uh, but what I, one of the things that you write about for us um, are tips, ideas, things that they can learn. You started with predator hunting. Let's go there. Let's what are some of the, the most important things that to keep in mind for them to, to bring with them if they wanted to get involved in or to start to hunt predators? What, what types of tools would they need just to get started with that? Well, I, th- I think the good thing about predator hunting is you can go straight from deer hunting to predator hunting, and the only thing you really need to change up in your gear is having a predator call. And you don't need to spend these new electronic callers. You can spend from 100 to 600 bucks on them. But you can buy hand calls that work just as well for 12.99. going to any Cabela's, Bass Pro, whatever you know, is nearby. And you can buy a real cheap hand call and do just as good as you can with an electronic call. Now, the thing with the electronic caller is you got a library of sounds you right. can use. Yeah. So, um, and then a couple real quick tips I, I tell people a lot is... Uh, you don't have to get fancy with your calls. and In fact, a lot of times I just do a coyote howl, and then I sit and wait. Because coyotes are, are curious, especially before they get really hard hunted. You know, like right now at this time of the year at SHOT Show time, it's January. They've, they've seen a lot of pressure, so they're a little nervous. But just a simple howl, and then don't go anywhere. I'd sit there for an hour straight in glass. Just get up high, do your howl, a couple howls maybe. And then just sit there for an hour and glass and take your time. 
too many times people get too anxious and they're up they're impatient they just get up yeah. and leave and for years there's always been this 15 minute rule in calling that if you don't see anything by the time 15 minutes is up you might as well leave well i can from my experience the majority of my coyotes are killed on the 30 minute mark not the 15 minute mark and not the five minute mark yeah i find the same thing bow hunting elk it's when you think you've waited long enough and you let your guard down is when those bulls often will come in silent and usually eating a granola bar or drinking some water or something <laughs> and end up getting busted. But uh, interesting. Have you seen, I've seen the videos of it, of people using dogs, I guess. Yeah. Uh, sheep dogs or some type of dog that's trained to run out. and. Most people use a, a mountain cur is mountain what they're cur. using now. That's okay. the real popular. But there's different crossbreeds of that that they've used. Some of, some of them cross. Uh, breed them with different hounds. I actually have a, a border collie that I use all the time. She goes with me, and she just digs going out and teasing the coyotes and bringing them back in. Oh, and interesting. So, uh, so yeah, for me, taking my dog into the hunt has brought a whole new experience in. And I, I've written about this and tell people, I, don't, I can't say I'm killing more coyotes with her, but I kill the funnest coyotes ever with her. <laughs> it's the greatest time to see her go interact with that coyote. The coyote is curious, standoffish. It depends on their personality, you know, and what day of the week it is. You know, it's just like people. Right. Some days you're bold, some days you're not. And uh, But they always want to look at her, circle her. And when, she, when I shoot a coyote and she goes up there, she thinks she's just done something. Huh. You know, she's so proud of the moment, and, and it's just great fun. Huh. So, deer, you're obviously a lot of time. Why don't we start? What was you, this year? You, I'm sure you had some good deer hunting stories. Tell us uh, about your best story this year. Well, this year turned out to be a very unique year for me because I was on many mule deer hunts, several, and I didn't kill a mule deer, which is odd. Interesting. But, but the great fact about a lot of the places I hunt uh, – where I spend the majority of my time is its crossover zone. Mm -hmm. So like where I live in Wyoming, you can hunt mule deer and whitetail literally within minutes of each other, right, and right. the tag's good for each. And then I was in Montana doing the same thing, mule deer and whitetails, and we were swapping back and forth. And in um, both instances of those hunts, we tagged out on whitetails. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was my season. I did end up uh, traveling a little bit, and I... I both killed my best white tail ever this year. Nice. Which so I where was I, that? That was in Kansas. Okay. And, and Kansas is another one of those crossover states. Yeah. Some giant mule deer central and going west, and then and then everywhere in the state there's giant white tails. So it's a great state if you're just a you know if you're just a straight up deer hunter. You like both flavors of, of mm -hmm. deer. Uh, that's a great destination. Can non-residents hunt mule deer yet in Kansas? Because when they for a long time, they couldn't. You could hunt whitetail, but you couldn't hunt. I'll be honest. Either. I don't know the answer to that question because yeah. I, I, my newest hunting connection is in the northeast, okay. and it's all almost all, all whitetail white there. So, uh, but like for instance, your general Montana or your gen, well, general Montana and general Wyoming is either or right. yeah, in almost right. all instances. So. Uh, uh, you can go sit on a river bottom for whitetails in the morning and then be up in the breaks in the afternoon spotting, stalking mule deer. So that, to me, that just seems like a great, great hunt. And like I said, this year was just kind of unique in the fact that um, uh, I ended up with more whitetails on the plate than uh, mule deer. And I had a, um, 
a really excellent elk hunt too in Montana. So I uh, filled the freezer and went and had fun do chasing deer everywhere. Nice. So. so is there any one story through all the years you've been writing that people come back to and it may have been years ago that they come up to you and say, you know what, I think that was that one really meant something to me or that's a great one that uh, that, that you can single out any one story that you've done? I don't know if I can single out one. Uh, and just as a disclaimer, I do a lot of TV, too, for different groups okay. and stuff. I, I contract hunts for TV shows. On the TV shows, I see uh, a lot of guys talk about one episode, and it's where I, well, I do it a lot, but on one specifically where I crawl. I do a lot of crawling. <laughs> You'd almost say I'm like a toddler and not have, <laughs> haven't learned to walk. So I do a lot of crawling because I like to shoot prone and I like to close the distance. So I'm always on my belly crawling somewhere and people just dig that. <laughs> I don't know why, but they always, oh, I remember when you crawled 500 yards and right across the prickly pears. And I, then, I was going to say, do you tell them about the prickly pears no. and to wear leather gloves and knee pads? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then that's another thing that people always mention about they always like my enthusiasm, and I, I try to be, uh, I mean, I enjoy hunting, so I try to share that enthusiasm on TV. And then they like the how-to stuff, because it seems like nowadays when you watch TV, so much of it's entertainment, uh, whether you're getting it on Hulu or wherever you're watching your hunting shows. But uh, not only do I like to show that, in, that excitement and that enthusiasm, I like to share, uh, this is how we did it, though. These are three steps on how we got from here to here yeah. or why I set up on this spot instead of over here. And, uh, and they really enjoy that because then they can take that into their own hunts and maybe absolutely whether they're in Maryland or Montana, it, a lot of times it's just simple things can be used in, this, in different locations. Yeah. What's the craziest scenario that you've been through either on a, on a hunt or through your writing experiences that you have either not conveyed or have conveyed through one of your stories or TV shows? Uh, one of the craziest hunts I ever went on was in Alaska for Alaska moose. And we got dropped off and there was a, a guide that was supposed to guide us. And he consistently was high on drugs combined with drunk on alcohol. Oh my gosh. And he got standoffish to the point where he was threatened to kill us one day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we were able to sneak a ground to air radio out of the tent and call a, uh, a beaver that was flying overhead one day yeah. and get a message back to the outfitter that this guy is off his rocker. Well, in Alaska, at that time, and I think it still holds true, you don't need to be guided for moose. And I had spotted a big bull moose way off, several miles in the distance. And I and this guy was, again, he was ready to just smack me in the face every five minutes. Everybody in camp, he just hated everybody. <laughs> and so I said, I'm going after this moose. And I grabbed a young kid with me, and we took off several miles. Got the bull moose bedded, and I had to wait for him to stand up. We had several uh, brown bear encounters during the day got run up on rocks I mean brown bears are just everywhere and uh, finally killed the moose had to pack out the first load of meat in pitch black dark get back to camp and uh, by the way when we left camp there was no food left so we were hoping there was going to be an airdrop or something got back to camp nobody's at camp uh -huh. they had flown in and left us food but they flew everyone out and oh. so I'm sitting there in the middle of nowhere with a dead moose several miles away. <laughs> I'd gotten one pack load out. Brown bears everywhere were soaked in blood. Oh, from, my gosh. Uh, 
It all turned out good, though. That's good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're still here, so That's right. clearly there was this positive end to that story. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, I've had a lot of crazy encounters like that. But yeah, um, yeah you're right. I'm still here and uh, still having fun That's in the outdoors. Well, good. the inspiration you get to write articles based on your experiences makes it that much more enjoyable to read because we we what we do is we pick up the emotion that you felt during your you know your experience and you wrote about it. so many articles out there people write it's dry um you know in, in the biology world we call it dry labbing they really didn't <laughs> experience it they're just writing about it exactly and, yeah. and what what i've recognized from you and other writers that you know live and walk the walk is is Although it's never going to mean as much to me or have the emotion, but I do pick that up, and, yeah. and we really appreciate that. Well, and the humor. You, yeah. you always bring a lot of fun to your stories. So, yeah, so. I, I'm, I try to. And, I, and again, I, that's one thing I pride myself in is walking the walk. Every day uh, I live the outdoor lifestyle. I'm not, I'm, I live outside. Like I said, I walk outside. Every, every night I go down to feed my horses and my um, trusty mule. I walk through a herd of mule deer. They know they know me. I know them, and uh, it's just uh, it's fun. it's a fun, it's a fun life. Yeah, to be able to not only write about what you're doing, but just do do what you're doing. Live it every day. Yeah. You know, one of the questions we like to ask folks, particularly those of us that are a little gray. Um, I'm not gray. Well, <laughs> I didn't say you were. <laughs> um, in all the years you've been doing what you've doing, what changes have you seen? both good and bad, and what do you think the future holds for, you know, your profession, the conservation business, hunting, fishing, those sorts of things? I, I think one of the changes I see is that people want, obviously, instantaneous gratification in the, in the form of a smartphone. So everything, they would just want it now, 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 now. And that's, that's good for information. But in the other sense, it's set up a... A lot of people, like we were talking earlier, who act like they're living the life, but they're not really living the life. Yeah. <laughs> and and nothing against that. If you're a good marketer, you're a good marketer. But there's a lot of false falsehoods out there I see in, in people and personalities that really aren't capable of doing, you know, maybe what they're portraying. Yeah. But as long as young kids, which we need recruitment, we need mentoring, as long as they're seeing some of that hunting on their smartphone and getting excited about it, that's a win-win situation. It's just, I'm just hoping they're following the right path, you know, and getting excited in the right way and inspired in the right way that it's, it's making for a, a good next generation of hunters. And, uh, and we as old timers, you know, I don't have much hair left, so I'm, uh, uh, I'm not gray because I shave it all off, but... Us old timers, you know, that's that's a big mission of ours. We have to um, inspire these young kids, mentor them, and uh, make sure that they they're getting outside beyond what's they're seeing on their smartphone and living the. Uh, as Fred Bear used to always, his message is always that get outside and experience the yeah. adrenaline rush and everything. And uh, we really need to get kids doing that. So. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt you've got the authenticity, uh, and we appreciate your writing for us and, and you know, the, what you do for mule deer and for conservation in the hunting and fishing industry. So thank you so much for spending time with us today. Well, so until the next time, this is Jody Stemler. And I'm Steve Belinda, and we're talking mule deer to you again soon. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. 
The Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talkin' Mule Deer.